everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you might notice something a little different. There's a very strange graphic behind me. It's really weird for me too. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get all technical and it's it's kind of throwing me off as I see myself in the, in the image. But anyway, I'm really glad to have you and I'm really excited about there's a lot of kind of cool changes that are going on around here. One of which is my son has decided to kind of start doing our merchandising. So we've kind of turned that over to him. And I know I've showed you this shirt before that even if you're a bad girl, be a good nurse shirt, but he's done this one now. It says good nurse, bad nurse podcast on on the t-shirt and it's the little coffee cup. And we also can put pretty much anything on there that you want to, like a microphone or whatever. So anyway, we can, we're also going to have coffee cups, all kinds of like bags and that sort of thing. Those will be coming soon. So just keep an eye out for that. And guess who we have with us today. I'm so excited. You guys know how much I love this guy. Hi, Mike. It's Mike with Simple Nursing. What's up, guys? It's Mike with SimpleNursing.com. <laughs> you guys, if you, those of you watching on YouTube, look at the cool graphic behind him. Like oh, yeah. this is a drawing. Ooh. Look at this. This is actually done like in 2014 when we started like the YouTube channel. We're I think our YouTube channel is only like, one year old. And it has like a beautiful picture of, I look like I have an underbite here, but it's okay. And then over here, there's like a little bone guy with like a little nursing thing. It's kind of cool. That's like a nursing student that's been studying forever. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's like skin and bone. It's not even skin. It's like a skeleton. So <laughs> That is adorable. I thought that was so cute. I love it. If you look close enough, it's like looking at a textbook that says bones on it. So That's just great. I love it. It's so cute. So yeah. anyway, I know you guys are excited to have Mike back on. We... Uh, recently kind of have sort of just started working together and I've helped Mike get his podcast started. He is put, he has put, you guys are not, I mean, I can't even, you, you have no idea what a <laughs> huge resource this is. I'm telling you, I listened to all of these bits and pieces of all of these episodes. There's like 105 mm -hmm. episodes of his podcast. Each episode is a different med. I'm talking analgesics, antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Help me out, Mike. I can't All think. like the respiratory meds, bronchodilators, pretty much. Yeah. All the pain meds from NSAIDs. Musculoskeletal. Yeah. Musculoskeletal. All the prenatal maternity meds, even pediatric meds, mental health meds, everything that you need to pass the NCLEX. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. We took, we basically tore apart the top five question banks and the top five textbooks to find the need to know information that was asked the most. And then we put memory tricks to help students master pharmacology once and for all. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> awesome. And I tell you, when I was listening to it, I was thinking the whole time, oh my gosh, this I would have loved to have something like this when I was in nursing school. It not because it's not only like here's what fentanyl is and ex, and explain that like it breaks every all of those drugs down. But not only that, there's little episodes within all of the groups that are like NCLEX test taking, like oh, test yeah, taking yeah. tips, mm -hmm. NCLEX, kind of like what to expect on the NCLEX. Yeah. That, that's huge. That is so <laughs> huge yeah, because like, you might know this information, but you need to understand how the NCLEX works. Mm -hmm. What are they looking for? What's the important thing to remember when you're taking the NCLEX? And that way, when you come across a, a question, mm -hmm. you can be like, okay, I know that they are thinking this way and I need to answer this question. That's huge. Yeah. And I mean, we even hired two instructors that wrote questions for the NCLEX and they would pretty much tell us like about this drug 
uh, the NCLEX would ask this certain key term or this certain key question. Because so many times students like focus on the wrong things and they think they know the drug, but they didn't focus on like the key term that is asked about that, you know, specific uh, diagnosis or specific drug. So that was really the cool part. And then the other thing is we dissected the NCLEX itself and we're able to pick out the top three questions that students get wrong. So we also review that within uh, the pharmacology course at simplenursing.com. Pretty cool. You guys, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> when I was listening to this, because I was the one that kind of helped him get them on to Podbean, which is the the service that he was using to, and I use, you know, to host the podcast. I was listening to them as I'm putting them on. And I'm just like, I would get, I would almost just like sit there. I would catch myself <laughs> listening oh, because it's <laughs> fascinating. It's not dry. That's what I love about it. It's it's like interesting to listen to. He's kind of, you know, he's funny. You guys know how he is. He's funny. So just like listening to it, it's not boring. You're not going to be driving down the road trying to listen and study meds and nodding off. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's good. You um, Trust me, go <laughs> to whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, the app, Apple, it's, it's, it should be everywhere pretty soon. I think we've had a couple hiccups with Stitcher, but most places that you listen to podcasts, Google, Spotify, Apple, just look it up and see what you think. Yeah, yeah. Just type in simple nursing or pharmacology, and I think we should be the first ones. Yep. Cool. So I guess we can get started. I do want to say, so last week, I a couple of weeks ago, I initiated something where I, I wanted to start promoting people for, for the good nurse portion of this of the story, mm-hmm. black nurses or black healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. And then last week when I recorded my episode, I kind of forgot that I was doing that. And because I was just kind of in a hurry, of course, because you guys know I work a full-time job. And so sometimes it's just like chaotic. And so I did an EMT story and didn't think about that, did the story. And then afterwards, after I recorded with the person I was recording with, I I realized what I had done and I was just so frustrated with myself. But anyway, I promise next week or this week, we're getting, we're going to have a good story to tell you. It's, It's actually a, it's actually not a, good story, but it's about a good person. And uh, we'll get back on track with that. But I also wanted to take an opportunity um, for the Share the Mic Now uh, campaign that we've been doing to try to, and we're trying to help promote black businesses as well and people of color. So uh, this is Jer, my sweet, sweet friend. Jer is, she's just involved in all kinds of stuff. And you guys know, you heard the episode that we did together. You've heard about her childhood and what all she's had to overcome. And it's amazing what all she's overcome. It's, she's an amazing person. She's gorgeous inside and out. And she wrote this little journal and it is just the most adorable thing. I love it so much. It's called Girl Get Up. Girl Get Up. And I ordered my own copy and it's the cutest little thing. And it's just so sweet because she really kind of helps you work through a problem. If you, if you have a problem, even if you don't know what it is, get this journal. She really helps you kind of dig in there and figure out what it is. And she helps you, it kind of teaches you how to journal and how to process problems through journaling. And that's, uh, I just want to promote that for her because it's, it's so sweet. And if you guys want to support her, I would really appreciate you going and helping to support her and, um, where do they find it? And her efforts. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, I love yeah. her so much. Is it on uh, Amazon or something? Or It's on Amazon. Thank oh, you for asking that. Yeah, it's yeah, on yeah. Amazon. Yes, I went on Amazon. I just bought two. I just went and bought them nice. off Amazon. Girl, yeah, up. it didn't take long to get them at all. 
get on up. So I guess we can get started about this. So I, you guys know that I am not a big proponent of the death penalty. I apologize for those of you who are in, I, you know, I think we can have differences of opinion about things. I don't mind being friends with people and talking to people. I think that it's not a good idea to, to just separate yourself from other people that have different opinions than you do. It's really healthy to just discuss those things. So, sorry, I don't usually get political on here, but one thing that I, one thing that I am pretty passionate about is the death penalty. And as you guys know, I studied this in when I was in college years ago. I did a paper about the death penalty and I was going to do a, a compare and contrast and talk about the reasons that the death penalty was a good thing and why it, it sh- why we should have the death penalty. And as I researched it, I literally convinced myself the opposite. And it was because of the story that we're going to talk about today. This is a, an excellent, two excellent examples of why I changed my mind about that. So this is the story of, well, it's kind of a, a story of a couple different people, but the main person, our, our kind of bad doctor is Dr. James Grigson. He was a forensic psychiatrist and he would testify in trials for, um, for the prosecution in most cases, almost almost every case. And he testified in 167 cases, death penalty cases, most of which were for the prosecution. So under Texas law, Mike, for the death penalty to be imposed, the jury has to believe the defendant, not only are they guilty of the crime, but they're likely to commit an additional violent crime if they're not put to death. I mean... What do you, do you think that's reasonable? I don't know. I mean, just honestly, your opinion. I have no idea what you're going to say. Yeah. I mean, um, so, okay. So here's the funny thing. My dad used to be a um, LAPD detective for 30 years. And so he's seen like everything in Los Angeles, like good, bad, and ugly. Then LAPD pretty much like screwed him over because of management and politic, politics and everything. And so he went to the defense attorney of the county and started working for them as a private investigator. And he was finding that a lot of like new detectives would just try to close cases. And so they would just do a sloppy job and put together these Mickey Mouse cases and just try to kind of slam people who just already had a bad rap sheet, but most times didn't do it. So he was finding out more and more, there's a lot of innocent people in jail. And so that kind of gave him a little bit of insight, a little bit of passion to be like, oh man, I can look into these like rookie detectives and like just tear their investigations apart because he has actually managed detectives at LAPD. So I totally agree that, man, a lot of good people are given wrong accusations and and wrongful even death penalties probably. So I, I totally believe it. You know, and, and I did not know, the interesting thing to me is I did not know what you were going to say there and, I, and that's, Totally fine as far, as far as I'm concerned. I wanted to. I want your real opinion, mm-hmm. but that's kind of uh, that's kind of interesting because that sort of goes along with how I really believe that there's there's a lot of stuff like that that goes on. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. So, Doctor Gregson, yes. I guess we can kind of get back to him. So, yeah, 167 court cases. In almost every case, he testified that they were incurable sociopaths, that they were 100% certain that they would kill again. I mean, when I was reading this, I was just like, dang, uh, how do you testify that somebody, 
100 percent. Yes, 100. I'm 100% certain that this person would kill again. Dang. So who would only spend like an hour and a half with the person and sometimes not even see them at all? Yes. Like that's not even assessing your patient at all. Like, yeah, this person's probably going to die. Like, what? That's exactly, yeah, <laughs> what I'm talking about. This man, a medical doctor who had a degree in psychiatry, forensic psychiatrist, testifying in all these cases, of course, the prosecution wants to use him because they know without a doubt that he's going to say what they need him to say. Mm-hmm. And that is, oh, a hundred with 100% certainty, I can say that this person will kill again. This person is a menace to society, whatever it is. And like you said, 90 minutes with a prisoner, mm-hmm. some cases less than that. And then, and even sometimes wouldn't even see them. They would ju- he would just review documents. I, it's appalling to me. Okay. So there are two cases that I wanna highlight here for this story that were directly affected by Dr. Grigson's testimony. The first case was featured in a 1988 documentary. You guys may be familiar with this. I was not, I didn't know about this film, but I think I kind of recognized maybe the title of it, but I I didn't know what it was about. But it's called The Thin Blue Line, and it really sort of changed the way people saw police and prosecution of criminals because Maybe up until this point, people sort of had a lot of faith in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. And they, good Americans believe that the state that this, a prosecutor brings is going to bring charges against someone. They must have good reason, yeah, yeah. surely, wouldn't you think? And so I think a lot of jurors or potential jurors would probably be thinking, even though they're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, mm-hmm. they may t- have a tendency to sort of look at the person like, well... The prosecution is sort of like the good guys, right? And it's supposed to be at least. Mm-hmm. And the defense is the bad guys that's having to quote do their job mm-hmm. and defend this horrible person. That's just how most of Americans, I think, see our our criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. This story, these stories, kind of help to shine some light on that and show that that's not always the case. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like peel back the veil of. Out of a huge population, there are some that are wrongfully accused. Yeah. And that's pretty sad, right? Like, you think that, you know, everyone always says like, oh, in the best country of the world, like, and it's like, we, everyone makes mistakes, man. And people are sometimes out for their best interest in terms of closing cases instead of really uh, representing right and wrong. So that's pretty sad. It's really sad. It's, it's sad. These are people's lives that Seriously. are at stake. And then you have people who... Literally, all they care about is political gain, mm-hmm. what they can get out of it, and needing more convictions. And they don't care yeah. who they're convicting. They just need a conviction. It's appalling to me how common this is for this to happen. It's yeah, numbers it's game. ridiculous. So David Harris was 16 years old when he ran away from home. He took a car from one of his neighbors, stole a car, and took guns from his mom and dad's house. And while, you know, you kids like this run away from home and they quickly realize that there's nothing to eat mm-hmm. and there's nowhere to live and I don't have any money and I don't have any way to get any money legitimately. And so they, he's got a gun, he commits robbery, murder, whatever's necessary to get what he wants in, in his mind, what he needs. And so... This is how he's surviving at the time. 
And he's driving down the road one day and he sees a man walking who looked like he just ran out of gas. And so he stops to pick him up and he asks him, this, this man's name is Randall Adams. And he asks him if he has a place that he could stay. So um, David Harris, he's got the car that's stolen, but he doesn't have anywhere to, to stay the night. Mm-hmm. And so he's thinking, okay, I picked this guy up off the side of the road. Maybe he'll let me stay with him. So Adams tells him, no, I, I don't have anywhere you can stay. And so they part ways. So later on that night, Harris is pulled over by a police officer. And so he doesn't, of course, want to be apprehended for having a stolen car and guns in the stolen car. So he shot this police officer. Oh, snap. This, yeah, completely innocent police officer just trying to do his job and pulling this guy over. So David Harris shot him, killed him, and then he took off. He killed the, oh, crap. It's not good. Yeah. So because the police officer had pulled him over, he did get the license plate of the car that he was driving and he was able to tell that to the dispatcher. So they knew, they knew who was in the car. They, they, they could track down at least the car who was driving it. And they did. They tracked him down and they brought him in and they found the guns in his car and they found that one of the guns matched the bullet that killed the police officer. So David Harris tells the investigators that he didn't shoot the police officer. He said he picked up a man on the side of the road and that man was the one hmm. who killed the police officer. And he said the man was the one driving the car. So they gave him full immunity for the robberies that he had committed, one of which he committed at gunpoint with a 22 caliber rifle. Mm-hmm. And there were other crimes that he had charges against him for. They gave him complete immunity for this crime and all the others for his testimony against Randall Adams. Oh, the guy you picked up that was hitchhiking. Yes. Okay. So it's really kind of shocking to me to think about that because it just seems like common sense yeah. would tell you it's his car. They're his parents' guns. He's committed other robberies. He's done other egregious, questionable things. But this other random person who was not with him. Like, this guy did it, not me. Like, what? Yeah. And they're going to believe him, the 16-year-old. Yeah. So... Randall Adams maintained his innocence, of course, and said that police tried to force him to sign a confession. Yeah. He said in an in interview, that documentary I was telling you about, The Thin Blue Line, he said that the investigators at one point came in, laid a gun down on the table, pushed a confession in front of him, on a, like a document in front of him, tried to force him to sign it. He said, there's no way I was going to sign that. Yeah, it happens all the time. It, they also tried to get him to pick that gun up. It was a pistol. He put his prints on it. I think that it never said that in the documentary, but, still, but yeah. I think it was sort of maybe kind of understood that why else would they be asking? Because they tried, to really tried. In fact, he said that they that the investigator pulled a gun on him. What the heck? And, <laughs> oh my mm-hmm, God. And said, I, you know, you're, you need to pick it up. Like, pick, pick up the gun. And he said, there's just no way I was going to do that. Talk and I just didn't day. do it. Oh, man. Yeah. So finally, the the police officer figured out, well, 
he's clearly not going to sign this. He's not going to pick up the gun. He, he picked the gun up and took the document and Randall Adams never signed a confession. He always maintained his innocence. Dr. Gregson, our bad doctor, oh, testified that, that Randall Adams would be an ongoing menace to society if he were not put to death. Oh my gosh. So he did get the death penalty in his trial. He was convicted and got the death penalty. His conviction was unanimously upheld by the Texas Appellate Court. His death sentence was commuted to life in prison by Governor Bill Clements. So at least there was that for him. And then in 1989, so this documentary, Thin Blue Line, came out in 1988. And it was kind of one of these things like, there's documentaries everywhere now, right? And like, it, you can get all uh, in an uproar about a documentary and just think, why is this happening? And I see them all the time. Like I'll watch documentary and I'll think, why is this happening? But there's so much information out there. It's hard to get people behind a cause um, and to kind of get your voice out there about an issue. At the time, there wasn't a lot. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have social media. So this documentary coming out was huge and it got people absolutely riled up. And they were just like, I demand justice. So then in 1989, after everyone seeing this documentary that clearly showed that Randall Adams did not do this because in the documentary, David Harris was interviewed and he admitted that he was the one that killed the man. And the reason he admitted it is because he was, he was literally on death row for killing a, yet another. another person. Oh my gosh. Right. After this incident, he did kill another person and right. they caught him. Yeah. Dang. And he got the death penalty. So he's on death row for killing yet another person. So he told exactly what happened. And he said, I told them, you know, they asked me who did it. And that guy's the only person that I could think of that was with me that day. I said it. And they just took it and ran with it. <laughs> they never questioned it. And I don't know. I'm sure he was surprised that they just bought it. He's 16 years old. Some people that were in the documentary that kind of, that they were interviewing said, well, he was 16 years old and the police didn't want to throw a young man's life away. Yeah. But man, like so. the obstruction of justice, right? It's just like, yeah, what? it's just scary to think that this could happen. So in 1989, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals did overturn his conviction on the grounds of malfeasance by the prosecutor and inconsistencies in the testimonies of a key witness because there were people who testified that they saw Randall Adams. And then later on, they came back and said, well, I didn't really necessarily see him. The hair sort of looked similar. So they were basically picking out the person that they thought the police wanted them to pick out. Mm -hmm. And the police deliberately gave certain people like really bushy hair or something like that. Dang, like, it sucks. <laughs> they just set it all up to where Randall Adams did not have a chance. And all this came to light. And he finally was let out of prison after spending approximately 12 years in prison. Dang. Yeah. Out of all the things... That could happen. Like I'm, I'm grateful for the things that haven't happened, like in your life, you know. Because imagine this: you're just you're run out of out of gas, and you see this like 16 year old kid, probably with a permit. You don't know. He's like, oh yeah, just pick me up and drop me off at a gas station. And then all of a sudden, 
this kid like accuses you of all these things. It's like, what? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's no way you could ever predict something like this would happen. Dang, right? It's it's just very unfortunate for him. And the really sad thing is he was looking for a job and he was told that in this area, oh, there was a lot of people out of work that didn't have jobs and he got a job. So he was so excited. And he he said, I was thinking to myself, this is meant to be because oh. all these people out of work and I'm getting this job. So it's just, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, that that documentary is really sad, but maybe it helped to bring about some change. We were watching America's Got Talent last night and there was a man on there who had spent 37 years in prison. What? And then was exonerated by DNA and was released. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this happens all the time, you guys. It happens all the time. So that was Randall Adams and that that was his story. There's another case that's to me, more disturbing, even more disturbing than this one. So the second case that Dr. Grigson was a part of that I want to talk to you guys about was Cameron Todd Willingham. And he went by Todd Willingham. This happened in 1991, two days before Christmas. So he was at home watching his three daughters. This is a horrible, by the way, uh, I probably should have said this to begin with, but Definitely trigger warning if some of you guys don't like the children ones. So I'll put that on the description. I always try to put that on there, but it's it's very disturbing I mean, what happened to these people. But uh, anyway, Todd Willingham was at home watching his three daughters while his wife was out buying Christmas presents. And according to Todd Willingham, he was taking a nap. And while he was asleep, a fire started. He says he woke up, the house was engulfed in flames. He tried to save his children before having to get out or be killed in the, in the fire himself. And so at, a, at his trial in 1992, prosecutors said that he intentionally set the fire um, to his home in order to kill his, his children because he was upset with his wife. So there was a lot of testimony from people kind of connected to the case, like family members, neighbors, friends, that sort of thing. Todd Willingham was maybe didn't have the best reputation and he was abusive according to many accounts. Pretty much everyone would agree with that, including his wife. But one thing that she did say was that, yes, he was abusive Yes, he was not a good person, but he would never hurt his children. Mm. And she said that right from the beginning, and she maintained that for a long time. Also, the medical, and they did, you know, of course, checked him out medically when right there at the, at the, uh, after the fire. And apparently he didn't have smoke in his lungs. Uh, it didn't have evidence of, of having smoke in his lungs. So they convicted him based on the testimony of forensic experts. There was, so the firefighter team, I guess they're like forensic fire investigators. They determined through their investigation that the fire was intentionally set. And then there was also a jailhouse informant who said that Willingham 
confessed to him, and we all know that jailhouse informants are not necessarily the most reliable because guess what? They usually have something that they're getting in return for their testimony. So another thing mm. that happens with jailhouse snitches is... They get stitches. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, snitches get stitches. <laughs> I need a t-shirt that says that. Supposedly, Todd Willingham confessed to this cellmate. And the thing is, a lot of times these informants or these snitches, whatever you want to call them, are told they're somehow given a deal without being given a deal. Hmm. So they get something in return for their testimony. But it's in a way that when they're asked on the stand, if they got something in return, that they're able to say no. Oh, what? Yeah. So yeah, they can easily make something up in order to get Mm -hmm. something. So that makes sense. It's just so underhanded and dishonest Mm -hmm. because, you know, you see someone on on the stand who, well, they're not getting anything. Why would they put themselves through this? Oh, man, yeah. So you might give a little extra weight to that person. I mean, if you know that they're getting something for it, then you're like, well, that's a wash. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to believe anything that person says. But when the prosecutor literally says, now, when they ask you if you're getting anything in return for your testimony, you have to tell them no. Hmm. And in the other case that I was telling you about, the thin blue line case, that literally happened. Yeah, I wonder if they one can of the like, change the law to overturn that. It's weird. I mean, it's just one more thing right. that's, that's in our criminal justice system that just goes against everything mm-hmm. that makes sense. And it seems so unfair. Of course. So on October 29th, 1992, he was sentenced to death for arson and for the murder of his three daughters. But I mean, the same guy, like, was it? Gregson, the, the same psychiatrist? The same doctor, Dr. Gregson, testified that he was an incurable sociopath. Oh, yeah. He never met him, never even met him. He only looked through documents. Dang. Yeah, he reviewed his records, and that's how he gave his testimony, that he was an incurable sociopath. Yeah, the expert and his, his, Yeah, and his testimony definitely helped prosecutors secure the death penalty. Oh, man. At the... Here's the thing that came out later at the same time that this trial was going on. The science that the fire investigators were using to determine that the fire was intentionally set. So there's some sort of science that says, oh, you, someone definitely poured an accelerant on this area. You can tell because of this, this, and this. Mm That science was found to be flawed. Oh, crap. It was found to be um, bad science and and false. And so the guidelines and the recommendations for how fire investigators were supposed to investigate fires were changed at the beginning of that year that that this fire happened. And they were, the new guidelines were in effect before this fire took place, so they should have used the new guidelines, but they didn't. Mm. They used the old ones. So if they had used the new ones, they would not have determined. They they would not have had evidence that the fire was intentionally set. But instead, they did use the old recommendations. They did determine that the fire was intentionally set, and they were allowed to use their testimony Mm. 
It's it's just, you know, you, these things, you just think, well, this is common sense. Why can't we just be practical? Why can't we just say, okay, everybody, can we all just agree that this is wrong? But we that's not how our, our, our justice system works. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah. So 13 years later, Todd Willingham admitted to his ex-wife that the reason he didn't have smoke in his lungs was that he never actually tried to save his children. And he was so ashamed that he didn't want to admit it. He did not want to admit that he ran out of the house as soon as he woke up and saw the whole house engulfed in flames. Mm -hmm. He ran out and didn't try to save his children because he was scared. Mm -hmm. So he said that, he said, I'm, a guilt, I'm guilty of being a coward. Oh, wow. And he even said that he deserved the death penalty. He really, he, he said he, he, he wanted the death penalty. He said that he had been tortured all these years mm. thinking about how he might've been able to save his children. He said, I wish I would have died in the fire. I mean, it's just gut wrenching. Yeah. Every single yeah. year, every day. Dang. Yeah. And the Innocence Project took on this case. You know, that's a, a group of attorneys who oh, wow. take on cases that, you know, are you familiar with them? Not the at Innocence all, yeah. Project? So it's a group of, of defense attorneys who take on cases. They look at a case, someone who's uh, convicted, currently in prison, a lot of times on death row, mm. not necessarily, maybe just life in prison, but they look at their case and it's, and they try to find cases where it's obvious that they're not guilty. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there should be DNA, like a, maybe a prisoner will write to them and say, hey, I was convicted of raping this woman in 1982 yeah. when they didn't have DNA. I know my DNA will not match mm. that DNA. They have DNA. Please, please take my case, get it tested. And if they choose to take it, well, there's so many, they're backlogged. Yeah, they get so many requests, they can only take so many. But if they take on that case and they have that DNA tested and it comes back not a mat, I mean, they are literally able to have someone released from prison who's been in prison. And and that's what happened to the man I was telling you about from America's Got Talent. So this, that the Innocence Project took Todd Willingham's case and they tried to get his the, they tried to get the death penalty commuted but they weren't able to they were at least trying to get that or his whole case exonerated they definitely believed he was he was innocent of deliberately setting the fire mm. uh, they were unsuccessful uh, because he did he was put to death oh, yeah and that and this, this is you know, this is really sad, obviously. It's a terrible case. It's terrible. This person, is he perfect? No, he's not. But the way our criminal justice system is supposed to work is you, you're you not supposed to convict people of of other crimes and just say, well, he was a he was a bad person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Might as well. You know, it just, that's not the way this is supposed to work because if we let our system work that way, we're all yeah, everyone's, vulnerable. Yeah, everyone's, yeah. Course. Yeah. Dang, that's that's crazy. So in 2010, Judge Charlie Baird wrote an order that would have exonerated Todd Willingham. The Huffington Post reported about this. They said Baird's order clearing Willingham's name never became official. 
because a higher court halted the posthumous inquiry while it considered whether the judge had authority to examine the capital case. So mm. the Innocence Project brought this before this court and they said, can we posthumously have him exonerated for his family's sake, for his namesake? You know, just to say this person was wrongfully put to death, can you say, rather than him, you know, go down in history as saying, that he did this to his daughters. And so this higher court said, wait, we're going to look at this and see whether or not you have this court, this lower court has the right to make a claim of innocence or not Mm. and, and to exonerate. But what happened is the court ordered... The exoneration, the, uh, Charlie Baird, he did order the exoneration of Cameron Todd Willingham for murdering his three daughters in light of overwhelming, credible, and reliable evidence presented by the petitioners. The, the court holds that the state of Texas wrongfully executed Cameron Todd Willingham. And that was the, the judge, like I said, this, his petition never, it never actually it was official Dang. because the higher court said, wait, mm, you might not have the authority to do this. But the thing is, a judge looked at it and said, whoa, yeah, this should have never happened after he was already gone. I wonder how many uh, exonerations they have like this that, you know, so-and-so was wrongfully executed by the state of Texas or by any state, right? Mike, I am telling you, I've... I have researched this extensively. I could do an entire, I've thought about it, doing an entire <laughs> podcast about it. It's so, like, I'm so passionate about it. I have a lot of causes. And right now, my thing really is um, drug-related infections. And that's kind of what I'm focusing on, trying to get the word out to people about drug-related infections, IV drug use and specific, you know, mm-hmm. endocarditis and those things. So that's kind of my focus right now. But at some point, mm-hmm. I swear, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna get on this, and my big mouth is not gonna shut up about it because I'm so, I'm just so over it. I'm just so sick of it. The whole thing, it's just ridiculous. The whole thing needs to be turned around. So in 1995, Dr. Gregson, back to our bad doctor, was expelled by the American Psychiatric Association and the Texas Society of Psychiatric Physicians for unethical conduct. Thank you very really? much. He officially retired from the psychiatric profession in 2003. They nicknamed him, guess what? Dr. Death. The media loves to call doctors Dr. Death. I mean, we've (laughs) had several. Dr. Kevorkian. The doctor. Dr. Death. I can't think. The neurosurgeon who botched all of those surgeries. It was terrible. um, He was the one that uh, Wondery did did a uh, podcast called Dr. Death on. And I I did an episode on him. But yeah. So the media, they love to uh, to call doctors Dr. Death. It's just one of those things. They also, it's it's the same thing as they love to call nurses angels of death. Oh, man. Yeah, you're either doctor of death or you're angel of death. So I can see doctor death because that's two Ds. Mm-hmm. They should call them like naughty nurses. or like, We have to have another N. Yeah. I don't know, anyways. They love angel of death angel because of death. it's like, you know, they always, people like to, Think of nurses as being angels taking care of you. Uh, Don't be an angel sorry. of death. Watch the pharmacology. No, listen to the pharmacology podcast. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, a lot of the people, a lot of the nurses who have gotten, have been caught doing that and deliberately trying to kill their patients mm-hmm. claim 
that they were doing it to help the patient because they felt like they were suffering. Yeah, what about and, their misery, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's why they call them angels of death, but yeah. I honestly don't really believe that. I really, I think a lot, I think that most of those people are just sick and twisted and sadistic and just want to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And have power over other people. So, like I said, he did testify in 167 capital trials. All of, uh, nearly all of them resulted in death sentences. Wow. As you can imagine. In the late 1980s, an investigation was conducted by the Dallas Attorney General's office and they looked into post-conviction outcomes of murder convicts who Dr. Grigson had testified against. So they're kind of looking at the results Mm -hmm. of their murderers who were convicted based on his testimony. And so contrary to expectations that were set by his testimony, Mm -hmm. the people who were still in prison were generally nonviolent and cooperative. Mm-hmm. And then of the 12 paroled convicts, they were able to uh, say that only one had committed a crime after they were released. Oh, so they weren't sociopaths that were going right. to kill again. Exactly. Dang. Man. So Dr. Grigson died in Dallas in June of 2004 from lung cancer. So it just takes that one bad medical professional. Yeah. Dang. That's pretty scary. Okay. It really is. So he's dead now. He has his own death. Yeah. Dang. He's gone. He's no longer. Um, <laughs> it's kind of ironic. He was sort of like the menace. He was calling other people the menace. He was sort of the menace, you know? Mm-hmm. To me, that is a menace to society. If you're having people falsely, yeah, not con- not convictions, but definitely sentenced to the death penalty. And it's just doing it like willy-nilly, like, you know, oh yeah, this is just a normal day in the life of my job. Just, yeah, you look like a weirdo sociopath. So mm-hmm. like, can you imagine yeah. like having like that on your conscience and having like that much power just to, yeah. dang. I think I'm going to start probably talking a lot about some of these cases yeah. because you guys are going to be really surprised at how many there are, but there are a lot of cases that have people who, supposedly legitimate people that you trust that are testifying for the prosecution for the state who you trust that you think, oh, well, they don't have a reason to, what, the, what reason do they have? You know, the defense attorney, they have a, they're trying to get their, their, pay, their, their client off. So of course they have a reason to put someone up there that would lie. Mm-hmm. The prosecution doesn't, right? Yeah. But at the same- Wrong. Yeah. No, at the same time, yeah, yeah. They, uh, like, uh, like my dad would say, I guess like detectives and even those in law enforcement, like, and even like, you know, um, yeah, the prosecution, they get statistics and they see how many cases they've won and how many cases they basically closed. And it's sad because it's like, everyone just a number at that point. It's not even. These are people's mm-hmm. lives. I it's how in the world you could be responsible for putting people behind bars for years who were innocent. Yeah. They somehow justify it by, by saying, well, maybe they didn't do this, but they've done something. It doesn't matter, right? It's just like, yeah. It's like, and it's just totally screwed up our criminal justice system to mm-hmm. the point that you can't trust it. I don't trust it at all. Yeah. Not at all. So for our good nurse story, um, 
as I said at the beginning, I, you know, you guys know I've been trying to talk about black medical professionals to try to highlight them um, for our good story each week. This week, I wanted to talk specifically about a, she's not a nurse, but she wanted to be a nurse. She never got the opportunity. This is about uh, Brianna Taylor. And I think hopefully everyone knows who that is. We need to keep talking about her. I haven't heard as much noise about her lately. It seems like things get stirred up and we get all upset about something and then- They will forget. Yeah, before anything happens. And the thing is like, I've never seen the kind of change that I've seen in really in people's thinking. People who maybe before would have said all lives matter, you know, kind of that sort of thing are sort of changing their tune and they're seeing that, oh, maybe there is a problem. It's, mm-hmm. I think that there are really good, legitimate, very honest, good people who just don't understand what, what people go through and what really happens. And seeing the the video of George Floyd, I think that just made people go, okay, you, wait, is this what we're talking about? Like, I didn't know this happened. Yeah, this it is, woke people up a lot, yeah. It did. And so I feel like we have to keep talking about this because it's not good enough to just make everyone aware. You have to change policies. Mm-hmm. That's what has to happen. And- Again, our criminal justice system, our law enforcement, law enforcement across our entire country, there is a definitely a culture that is pervasive throughout law enforcement in our country that for whatever reason, they when they encounter people of color, it's like they just, just there's an assumption there are assumptions made. Yeah. And and the, the there's definitely a lack of regard for life. There's there's just no way you could could deny that. So Brianna Taylor, she was obviously for those of you who don't know, if you've been living under a rock for the past few months, um, she was a young black woman who was an emergency medical technician in an emergency room. She had dreams of going to nursing school. She loved her job as an EMT. She apparently was just a wonderful person and it's just heartbreaking what happened to her. So one night, Brianna was asleep in her home, not bothering anyone. And she was there with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, again, not doing anything wrong. No one was doing anything wrong or committing any crimes. According to Kenneth, they heard a loud bang. He got up to see what it was. He got his handgun, which he had a license to carry And most people in America agree that it's a right for us to have in our home to protect ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? He asked who was at the door. No one answered. So then police rammed through the door and Brianna's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, fired his gun thinking it was an intruder. I mean, I I can't honestly imagine someone doing anything else. Right. (laughs) It was all very reasonable yeah. everything that they that, that the reactions that Kenneth Walker had everything that happened on that side of the door dang the opposite uh, side of the door though because he fired his gun police started firing multiple rounds all through the home Brianna was shot eight times dang police say they announced who they were before uh, breaking the door down but they had been issued a, quote, no-knock warrant Mm. by a judge. 
which, by the way, has been banned now. Thank goodness. Yeah, that's just, that's retarded. I'm sorry, that's, that's dumb. <laughs> it really is. As it turned out, the people they were looking for, they were at a house far away from Brianna's house. But for some reason, the police had some suspicion that packages had been sent to Brianna's house. Mm -hmm. So they added her house to the warrant. They're looking for these other people. And they had actually apprehended the suspect that they were looking for at the other house Mm -hmm. because they raided that house. They had everything they needed, but they still went to Brianna's house because somehow they got word that packages had been delivered there. So they felt like it was appropriate to go there in the middle of the night and totally disorient them Mm -hmm. and ram through the door. It's almost like they were set Um, up almost, yeah. Yes, exactly. So no drugs were found in their home, Mm -hmm. by the way, in Brianna's house, nothing. They They were doing nothing wrong. There were no drugs. There was nothing there. There was no reason for this to happen. One of the officers, Brett Hankison, was fired. The other officers involved in the case were John Mattingly and Miles Cosgrove. They were placed on administrative reassignment. None of the officers faced criminal charges. As I said before, the city officials banned the use of no-knock warrants on June 11th. Damn. But, you know, Mike, I don't even... This just happened, too, on March... I'm yeah. looking at March 13th. Yeah. Dang. And what I... You know, I was just driving through a, about a week ago, uh, one of our local little areas, like shopping areas, like really nice area. And there was this young man, this young black, black man who looked like he was probably, I don't know, maybe late teens, early 20s. I'm not sure how old he was, really. Um, and he was holding up a sign and he just said, say her name. And he had her name on there and a couple of other names. And I was just like, so overwhelmed with emotions because I was just like, look at this young man standing out here, you know, doing this on this day when it's this beautiful day when he could be doing anything. And he's out here reminding all of us like, hey, we're not talking about it. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. That's the saddest part. Like, no, not, there was another case about kind of like a no-knock warrant. I don't think that it was officially had a no-knock warrant, but a police officer, a female police officer, basically kicked down the door uh, to the wrong person's house and ended up shooting this guy who was just, I think he was eating or doing something just on his couch. And it was actually a black uh, male. And this was a few months, I think it was this year or maybe in the fall, maybe like six months ago. And I remember his, his, his mom, I think she was Jamaican. She came out just really calm saying like, you know, we need to have reform, have change. This is a way before the George Floyd. And it's like, dude. So it's like, my, I, again, my, my dad was in law enforcement for 30 years in LA, Los Angeles. And I don't think he's ever had this before. He never even talked about or even had an incident of breaking into someone's house unannounced. And uh, I don't know. And just lighting up the place. That's just crazy to me. So I think that, you know, the law enforcement, obviously, it seems archaic, right? Uh, There needs to be a lot more, a lot more training, especially in these kind of like, I wouldn't say non-metropolitan areas, but it seems like uh, there's like a lot of more training that needs to be happening here. Yeah, for sure. Now, this happened in Louisville. I don't know if you say it Louisville or Louisville. I'm sorry. I apologize for you guys. Louisville, Louisville. Yeah. But I mean, Is it Louisville? I don't know. I think everyone I calls know. it Louisville. 
But at the same okay. at the same time, it's like Louisville. I don't think it's as big as like Los Angeles or I mean even oh, yeah. even Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Minneapolis is pretty big, but it's still like big in comparison to like New York or Los Angeles or like bigger cities. But like, dude, like yeah. this is crazy to me, right? It's like a bunch well, of security officers, like security cup, mall cups. Like what? this is the time for change yeah, to happen because seriously. everybody's thinking about it. Everyone's aware that it happens. I think that most people, because I'm seeing a whole lot less naysayers on this. Yeah. Like, on social media, I'm seeing a lot less people who are, you know, chiming in and somehow trying to justify the actions. That's, it's less and less. And now is the time for reform mm-hmm. and for things to happen. We really need an overhaul of of our law enforcement in this country, mm-hmm. something has got to happen because there needs there needs to be extensive training, obviously body cams, mm-hmm. you know. But even so, like um, I heard of this, because originally when they said like, you know, defund the police or defund law enforcement, everyone's like freaking out and like, no, we need more funds, like more training. And maybe even like a social worker as like a chaperone, which probably wouldn't be a bad idea. But it's funny because like there was an article that came out from the 60s or maybe even earlier than that, where they kind of defunded a portion of the police department at the time that was responsible for medical. So that actually sprouted to become the new EMTs and then eventually became paramedics and then eventually ambulance. So they were saying that sometimes it's not a bad thing to diversify and defund certain parts. And so... They were saying that basically EMTs kind of sprouted out of the law enforcement not having to be responsible for first aid, which eventually became like the fire fire department's responsibility. Pretty interesting. Yes. That's- very interesting. Very, very mm-hmm. interesting. So it, it's pretty interesting because reform doesn't always mean bad. Reform can definitely mean good changes. And obviously we're seeing the signs and symptoms of a change that needs to be made. So. I don't think anyone is suggesting that we not have law enforcement. Oh, yeah. in the, obviously, who wants to? No one wants to live in our country without law enforcement. But definitely not if you if if your law enforcement is not there to protect and serve the community. What purpose? Yeah. Why have them? No, <laughs> you can't yeah. trust them. And that's and yeah. I, I always call the white blood cells of your body the police through your body. But when those white blood cells turn on you, it becomes an autoimmune disease, and your body starts attacking mm-hmm. itself. So. Yeah, it definitely needs some type of uh, reform regulation. It seems like our country has an autoimmune disease. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I we're love gonna it. Start, yeah, we're going to start the autoimmune disease podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we need some steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to, yeah, some immunosuppressants. We'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much. Remind everybody where they can find you. Obviously, simplenursing.com. Yeah, simplenursing.com. All of your major platforms. Uh, we just launched our pharmacology podcast, thanks to Tina, who's helped us set it up. And ninety uh, percent of our students find us on YouTube because we have all our visual uh, videos on there, kind of like cartoon animations of the body. And if you're taking your NCLEX or your nursing school, watch our videos because all of our stuff focuses on NCLEX as well as uh, exit exams like the HESI and ATM. Awesome. And you guys, of course, you know, you can find us. Go to goodnursebadnurse.com and just check out our new merchandise and see what you think about it and give your suggestions. I've heard from several people recently. Um, You guys are sending me lots of really cool messages and I appreciate it so much. I love it when you guys send me messages and like, 
expound on something that I say, because you guys know how I am. I start just Tina tangents, <laughs> as Mike calls them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love you guys so much when you do that. You're like, hey, Tina, just letting you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, y- you have no idea. I love it. I'll be at work and I get these on my phone and I'll be just sitting there. It makes me, like, even if I'm like stressed or whatever, I'll start reading that. And even if I don't respond to you, just know I read all of them. And I always, it always just makes my day. It makes me feel so, so much better. I love it. So you guys, I appreciate you so much. I really do. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse, please. Y'all be a good nurse. Y'all. Thanks. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) 